there have been times where I've been completely transparent, and there's other times where I've been zero dark 30. Mm. And you ain't heard from your boy in a while. And part of it is like, I'm trying to work through some stuff, or I'm embarrassed about what I'm going through, mm. or... guests out here don't know this, but this is the second time I'm telling you hello and welcome this morning to Authentic On Air with Bruce Alexander for episode three with Derek Sire. Good thing we're re-recording because I was saying your last name wrong. So um, <laughs> he knows this now, but um, before he didn't know this, I have parasitically taken him on as a mentor, just slowly sneaking in there, starting to take that information off him as much as possible, trying to just really sop up all the wisdom he has to share. Um, he's Derek Sire, and he's with us and ready to get real. Um, we're going to give a brief intro. So my wife told me that podcast listeners like to get right into the subject matter. Through my life, I have learned more often than not, my wife is more right than I am, at least a little bit. I'm not going to give her the full, she's always right, but she's usually more right than I am. So I will keep it brief. A previous conversation with Derek led me to today's reflection. Are you still being authentic if you make small value concessions to achieve your goals? Remember, this is not about being right or wrong. It's about taking the opportunity to challenge yourself and grow closer to your own identity. I know how to answer this question for myself, but for you to benefit, I encourage you to really visualize and role play your solutions and sit genuinely with your, sit genuinely with your feelings. And if you come up with any Interesting, surprising, or revelational insights, I would love to hear them. So you can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. So I first connected with Derek during the process of revamping a children's fire ed program. We sat down to see if it would make sense for us to work together. And quickly I found out that it would not because I had a budget of zero dollars. <laughs> and this man was here to make money, and that's I respect that. I also figured out pretty quickly that his enthusiasm, optimism, and motivation were beyond inspirational, and I needed this guy in my top five. So I bided my time, stayed in contact, and all but stalked him until the time was right, and for the last three months or so, he has been elevating my level of thinking through conversation, and I could not be more thankful to share my podcast stage with Derek Sire. Welcome, Derek. Let's try it again. Proud. Do we have the button? That's, that's Dr. Dre. Why is that Dr. Dre? <laughs> I don't think I have rights to use that. Anyways, be flagged on Facebook. Soon I'm going to get this uh, little soundboard down, and I'll find that applause button. It's going to be nice. <laughs> Thanks for having me out here today, man. I appreciate and, it. Yeah, I'm sorry for the last 25 minutes that we recorded <laughs> that was literally gold, and we had a little bit of a technical issue. But you know, we're hey, I'm new to this game. I'm gonna I'm gonna get all the bugs out eventually. Well, I, just for the, the the listeners and and the viewers, if you really want the first 25 minutes of gold, you gotta go back and watch the YouTube clip. Okay, yes. like the first one, I'm sure we'll edit it like first part mistake or something like that. But you're gonna get some really cool stuff. So this yeah. is just an encouragement to go subscribe, like, set your notifications for on an alert. Uh, and the YouTube channel. It's going to be good. You get the double of Derek today. Yeah, so that, that'll be our bonus content for Ooh, episode three. I like that. We're going to have a, a bonus, like, 
episode add-on <laughs> because we did like a pre-episode and we recorded that at least on video and yeah. there should be some audio. We'll see how good that we'll is. That I, I, I can fix it. <laughs> I can fix it. Don't worry about I it. Do it. I can do it. I can do it. All right. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and um, what, you know, really what you're, what you're trying to do for the community. Yeah. So I think if I had to kind of narrow down what I do and who I am, um, I, I really tried to narrow down how I describe this to people mm-hmm. and without saying, you know, I'm a professional development person, you know, mentor. Like I really have tried several different ways. My most recent way of trying to describe who I am and what I do is I like to reach to one side of the city and I like reach to the other side of the city and I like Spider-Man. I like pull them to the middle. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I believe that um, there are parts of the city that would never meet uh, without a Derek. Right. They would never cross paths. They would never connect without a Derek. And so I take my connection, my visibility, my influence, and I just reach across Oklahoma City, the edges of Oklahoma City, and I bring people and organizations together. Um, I think just because Oklahoma City and its landmass, it's just so easy for people to be siloed or separated. Yeah. And the northwest side of Oklahoma City has no reason to go anywhere else. And south side of Oklahoma City has no reason outside of entertainment to come north. Everybody has its own kind of this, uh, their own sub community within a larger community. And I think it's very easy to become complacent when you live, work, and play on the side of the city. You never, you know, there's no incentive to go anywhere else. Absolutely. And so I just kind of stand in the middle. Even though I'm an east side guy, like I get out and I, I move around and I connect with folks. And I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm using my weight and my leverage to pull sides of the city together and connect in ways that they probably would not have connected. And those three ways, I think, are community, connection, and mentoring. Community, connection, and mentoring. If I had to pick one of three or all three of the things that I do, it would go in one or all three of those buckets. Okay, and this is where I'll, I'll diverge from our, our first uh, version of this, yeah. of this conversation. And instead of saying, why do you want to be Spider-Man? I want to say, why does, why does it need a Derek Sire specifically? Yeah. To act in that role. Like what's what is special about you that allows you to act as that as that pivot person between the communities? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, have you have you ever heard of uh, the five heartbeats? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And a, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Huh? Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey. No, 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 no. It was. um. Uh, what's his name? Short haircut. Uh, I can't think of it. Uh, he was duck. But the. um. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Yeah, we'll, so I, I, I know I've seen it. I'm thinking of a different one, but I know I've seen the five heartbeats, and I, and I remember enjoying it. Yeah, it's almost like a temptation spinoff, yeah. right? It's like, anyhow, there's this part where they're on tour, and um, and they're waiting for the album cover to come out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the five heartbeats and their manager, they're all sitting around. They're like, he's like, tell Big Red, we need more more better cars, and we don't need to be sleeping in these, these hotel rooms, and we need to get paid up front. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And it was like, all right, now what about the album cover? And this is this white guy, and he has the album cover in his bag. And he said, I just want us to keep an open mind, you know, keep the bigger picture. And he pulls out the album cover, and it's like this white family on the beach. And they're like, man, where's our picture at? Why'd you take our picture off the cover? And he was like, well, we really want to create a crossover audience. Yeah. And that's the part where I'll pause the story. Mm-hmm. I think that um, there are uh, people... Um, along the the timeline, uh, along the this, this spectrum. And I believe that they have certain jobs. And I believe that um, some jobs are, are to speak internally to their own community 
And I think there are people that uh, are who, who are tasked with speaking to other communities. And I think that um, in my most authentic self, I navigate well in multiple communities, right? I've almost created this, uh, this cross-sectionality of my own person and my own connections and my own people. And so I think that, that Derek's, people that love to be in those, to be a bridge to different communities and to connect spaces, I think they serve as um, people who can navigate well, people who can speak the language, people who can fit in. Um, and I say all those terms really, really loosely, tongue in cheek, because I know it may be a um, a trigger for some people, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Derek, you know, he over there playing the game, or Derek, right. you know, over there tap dancing. Yeah, Derek, that's, all, you know, that's what I was gonna follow up with. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know this world, and and, uh, and, uh, and I think it's very unfortunate that um, we live in a world that makes you choose, absolutely, choose a side, mm-hmm. pick a side, which side you gonna be on, mm-hmm. and it's like, man, like I want my side to be diverse and eclectic, and I want it to have a bunch of different people who have a bunch of, we talked earlier about the importance of differences. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 long story made short, I think that people, uh, communities need Derek's. Yeah. I think there are people who face inward and there are people that are also in that group that face outward. And the people who face outward, I think uh, people think they have to defend outwardly, mm-hmm. uh, but there are also people who are curious about what's happening over there. And I wanna know what's happening over there yeah. so that I can bring all of the good things about all these other places back to my community. I want to know about business. I want to know about education. I want to know about faith. I want to know about mentorship. I want to know about property and real estate. I want to know about investing. And if, if that doesn't exist where I am, then that means I have to go get it, right? Otherwise, I stay in a place of lack, but filled with pride. And I yeah. think pride oftentimes prevents us from asking things that we don't know and getting things that we need. Absolutely. So so the, this this otherdom that's yeah. created in this uh, in that today's society, like, how like how hard was that for you? Because I mean, I, I feel like you're pretty confident in you know in your identity now. Yeah. For me, like I, I struggled with that otherdom for a long time with mm-hmm. you know people saying like, well, you're you know you're basically white, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both on the black and the white side saying, well, you're basically white. You're basically because I was raised in white neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have a more polished voice. I don't you know I don't use a lot of slang. All the stereotypes. Yeah, all the stereotypes yeah. basically means. I'm white, like I can't be educated in black. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that say about our society? But how, like, how much did did that shape how you how you came into yourself? Yeah, and so I don't know that I've arrived to myself, right? I think okay. that we're all like continually arriving. I think as long as we're living and we are uh, reflective and we're uh, assessing ourselves daily, mm-hmm. I think there's an opportunity to grow and change. And so we're, I think we're constantly arriving. I don't think that I'm there. I also think you said confident. I think that um, I'm more confident than I used to be, but I'm still not as confident as I want to be in who mm-hmm. I am. Uh, and I think people who, um, I, there, there's like a mindset that says, don't listen to what other people say and don't care about what other people say. And I'm like, well, I'm actually taking in everything. Right. And if it doesn't stick, then I discard it. Mm-hmm. But to not take in anything means that I don't get the good parts either. Absolutely. So I, I take it everything. Now, as somebody that is like highly emotional, I'm a cancer. I don't know if that means anything to anybody <laughs> else. But like I am like highly emotional, highly sensitive. I try to be in tune and intuitive to my surroundings. I don't think that I'm an empath per se. Mm-hmm. I don't like using that language because I don't know what it is necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I am like sensitive to the people around me. That I understand that some of the things that I take on uh, that maybe I should discard, that I entertain a little bit longer than I should, 
the, that is what makes the process of figuring out who I am and establishing my identity hard and difficult. Mm-hmm. You ask me how hard it was or how difficult was it to come into my own, and I say I'm still arriving, I'm still getting there. It's because like some of the hardest things that I've ever had to process that I did not discard came from people that I trusted. Mm-hmm. And that stuff hurts the most. Yeah. Like I remember coming home uh, with my siblings, talking to my siblings, and it's like, oh, snap. Here come the college boy. And I'm like, <laughs> thanks. thanks. Like, what? is that a, like, it feels like, you know, you know, I don't know if this is unique to black people, but you know, like we have a way of like, uh, saying something that's good and making it feel bad. Yes. You know, like you can come out all dressed up and be like, where do you think you're going? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we just have this, uh, Ain't you slick? You know what I'm saying? Like, what you, you, who you think you are? Trying to, you know, it's like, and so I think that it's very unique, and I understand the the uh, the nuance of the compliment and of the tease. Like, I get that, but I think even growing up hearing that, uh, it kind of made it stand out in my mind as one other and different, and then two, like, is that me distancing myself from a group of people that I aspire to be a part of because I don't do what's happening in the group? Right. And it's like um, I went to this uh, to this uh, um, elementary or it was a middle school and I, I put 50 things on an index card and I just put them on the board. And I told the students leadership class, smartest of the smartest. Mm-hmm. I said, I want you, whatever's left up on the wall. I want to represent me who you think I am. I just walked in the room. I introduced myself. That's all you know about me. I, I want you to take everything off the wall that could not possibly be me. And. Uh, on the wall, I had um, uh, graduated high school, uh, graduated college, um, got a master's degree, married, kids, uh, live with my family, business owner. Like I did, I, then I had like uh, been to jail, uh, pay child support. You know, I'm right. just like, and, and what was left on the board was not me at all. Really? It was interesting to see their their perspective of what, who a black male is. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes some of the things that are left on the board, we embrace as a default of like, this is who we are. Right. And I think as, a, as an attempt to say, I don't want to be that, I think sometimes it's seen as shunning the, the, a, a popular conception of our perception of what black people are or yeah. what this people group is. Um, and so that was a long way of saying like, for me, Growing up uh, in in that environment, doing things that were not atypical was difficult. I think one because it it made other people feel a certain way about me. But as much as I wanted to be included, I tended to to downplay what I had accomplished yeah. in order to fit in. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't do that anymore. That's good. It's not something that I do. It's like, well, man, this is who I am. And if I mean, I got teased for driving a Honda Pilot. It's like, oh snap, I'm the pilot. And I was like, I can't win, bro. Like, if I tuck my shirt in, oh, look at the preppy dude. If I go to college, oh, look at the smart dude. Mm-hmm. If I get mad, oh, we're coming to family, man. Like, you know, it's like, dang, <laughs> God. He, you wouldn't have had a family? Oh, <laughs> look at you. Oh, snap. So it's <laughs> like, like, what? what? <laughs> and so it's like some of those things of like, I understand the, the nuance um, of like people trying to um, compliment and trying to point out something that is uh, not atypical or stereotypical for a certain community, but I want to make those things more common than than they are. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, 
I think there's a sense of pride in that for yeah. me. Uh, I know on the other side, there may be a sense of resistance. Um, but I think the diaspora of being Black um, is way more expansive than it has been limited to in the last 100 years. Absolutely. And I think we have to have that conversation. And, and I am totally behind you in that. That's, you know, it's something I've embraced as well as trying to take those things that we've been uh, kind of brought down for mm-hmm. and saying, you know what? Yes, like I speak well. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm educated. That's great. You can be educated too, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually something that you should strive towards. Yeah. Don't let them tell you that it's a bad thing for black people to be smart. Mm-hmm. That's what you're embracing whenever you make fun of somebody for like for sounding polished. Mm-hmm. You're saying you're embracing dumb as as our default. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, yeah. I, I can't with that anymore. That's, I mean, that is, that's just beyond me that that is so far ingrained into our culture that an entire culture will clown you for being educated. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, just look at, like, sit with that for a moment and just think, like, how brainwashed are we? Yeah. It's, it's time to make some changes. <laughs> and, and I think additionally, we have to, like, expand what it is to be educated. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I think um, the, the capacity that we're talking about is formal education. Yeah. I, mean, I think, listen, some some of these smartest people that I know are people who didn't graduate eighth grade or didn't graduate high school, mm-hmm. dropped out of school early. I mean, we were raised by a whole generation of people that were formally educated, and yet they were inventors, mm-hmm. you know, out, like, out of necessity. Right. I think of like the cotton gin mm-hmm. and the guy that was sitting under the tree and um, he saw it, it was he was on his break and he was over there, you know, kind of watching this cat uh, kind of go down the line uh, looking at these chickens. And the cat reached through the fence and grabbed the chicken and in an attempt to pull the chicken through the fence. He pulled out all the fle- the feathers. Mm. Then this guy was like, you know, it's like that. It's like when you tilt your head and you're like, wait a minute, I've been out here doing all this work. And this cat schooled me in a matter of, you know, a few seconds. And so that's how the cotton gin was invented. It was like, how do I separate? But it's like, that guy wasn't formally trained on anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You think about that people that, that went on to create essentials and necessities in community, they didn't have a formal background. They just knew how things worked and they put it together. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we begin to uh, put value on education in, in lots of different ways, then our conversation about what's being smart being educated begins to include areas that we have decided are not traditionally smart are not worthy of mentioning mm-hmm. right I, I know I know a grandmother who ain't measured nothing that will cook Gordon Ramsay under the table she ain't measured nothing it's a pinch of this it's a it's a sprinkle of this it's a mm-hmm. dash of that it's a handful of this and she's coming out with masterpieces right bro she's smart Absolutely. she's intelligent and so it, not only is that an external conversation but that's an internal conversation as well mm-hmm. and when I say internal I mean like the black community, right? We have to start, um, how, how do we say? We have to start uh, inclu- including things as a part of the conversation. And, and to expand on that, whenever I say, you know, you'll get clown for being smart, mm-hmm. being educated formally is definitely one of those things, but it's really anytime you become able to passionately talk about anything in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a I, and I would say in any kind of polished manner, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you become another. 
you are no longer cool. I depend on, it depends on what the topic is, though. Man, I, I mean, it's even if you like, if you're talking about rap music, if mm-hmm. you if you've gotten to where you get down to the roots of it, you know where it comes from. Yeah. You start breaking it down. It's like, well, actually, funk music was like, man, whatever, get out yeah, of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, like people don't want to hear. They don't want to be educated. Mm-hmm. They, because now it's no longer a fun conversation. Like it, we, it really has become pervasive in our society that. If somebody's teaching you, they're they're dumbassing you, mm. and that's you know, and that's you know, and that's whether they're teaching you about how to cook, mm-hmm. or they're teaching you about rap music, or they're teaching you about how you you know. Actually, this fashion design came from designer so and so and so. It's like, mm-hmm. what? I don't care. Like, just give me my drip. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. that's as long as they get the end result. It's so it's so like instant gratification. They, mm-hmm. You know, there's not anytime you want to get back into the the depths of it and you really start to have a deep conversation, mm-hmm. it becomes unsafe. Hmm. Do I want to push back on that, Bruce? Um, I think that there's a way that people have conversations. Mm, what am I trying to say? If, um, if I have a, a trigger response to people who use big words when they talk to me, mm-hmm. and they're trying to explain something to me that is fun and I think it's very simple, uh, then I think I could, I could take it as you talking down or being derogatory, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, why are you so big? Uh, what was it? It was a movie with Kevin Hart. And he said, I don't know what that means, but I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking offensively, right? <laughs> he says it a lot. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that word means, but I'm taking this disrespect, right? And I think oftentimes when, uh, when people take a posture of an offensive, oppressive nature, mm-hmm. then I think the the barrier goes up of like. First of all, I don't like the way you're talking to me. I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. Why are you using all the big words? Why are you trying to make something that's simple into something that's complicated? Like, we're trying to, you know, I think there's the element of that. But but doesn't that signify the problem? Mm. That that trigger response to, to big words saying mm-hmm. like, uh-uh, don't, don't use that with me. Yeah. Instead of it being, hey, can, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Would you mind explaining that part to me? Yeah, so that's why I think that it's layered, though. It's layered as in, like, if you can't, um, if you can't approach me the way that I'm, that I'm understanding it. There's the, the the thought that I believe is one side is saying, well, why don't you increase your awareness or your vocabulary or your understanding? And the other person is saying, well, I'm taking offense at how you're coming at me because you're trying to make it, yourself seem smarter than I am. And I know you're not smarter than I am. And I know I'm not dumb. And I think that both sides have to give a little bit, right? They're one, one side, they're not talking down to you. Right. But just because you've had somebody who uses the same approach talk down to you before doesn't mean that everybody right. that takes a similar approach has the same intent. That's mm-hmm. one. The other side is like, well, now we have to create some nuance in the way that we explain things. Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a kid, you don't understand it. Now, but when you when you're talking to a kid, you know you're talking to a kid. But you have to, I think you have to assess your audience in order to I I, I agree with that for sure. Yes. Like I definitely agree. Um, having been a public speaker for, you know, really for a long time, but as an yeah. actual public educator for two mm-hmm. years or so with the fire department, I like that was a big part of what I did was trying to engage audiences by, yeah. by you know, reading the room and talking on a level that. But whenever you're speaking to an adult, having a one on one conversation mm-hmm. and you know this adult is an adult and you speak not really using like. Not trying to extrapolate the largest verbs that you can, you know, whatever. Just like really, to right. me, it's, you know, speaking at probably like a 12th grade level, uh-huh. like, I feel like that's fair. 
I don't, I don't think so. You don't think it's a fair point? No, of entry? like when we when we we can't we can't assume that people um, professionally, emotionally, spiritually are at a level where they should be. Now, and whenever I say, like, I don't mean because, that you have to be there, but I'm just going to enter the conversation at that level, and then you say, I'm not there, and I'm like, oh shit, my bad. But I don't think people. Would, I don't think people are going to say that though. And I that, that to me is the problem: that. is that you. Like I, if you said to me, uh-huh. um, you started talking about like mechanical stuff, I'm terrible at that. I would say, slow down. I need you to talk to me like I'm a five year old. Mm-hmm. Whenever it comes to that, like I need you to slow down because I'm not good at that. Would stuff. you say that that's a mature perspective? Sure. That's a, an aware. You're self aware. I'm yes, I'm pretty self aware. Would you say that you're humble enough to say that you don't know? Oh, not, it's not even about being humble. It's about wanting to. I, I want to learn. So well, there's some humility in learning, though. Yeah, and so like I, I love to say, wait, wait, what? Tell me more about that. I think that's rare. I think that in in when we're trying to connect with folks, I think that we should assume the lowest. This is me, and then w- work our way up, right? I think if we start at a certain place, then it's like now we got to dumb it down, or not. And I know we would never say that, but now we have to readjust, right? Our language, our perspective. I think that how can we communicate with people to maintain? Um, intact their dignity their honor and I think that comes with some curiosity that comes with like some self some like some assessment it comes with being able to like read what's happening right now because like to me and again I I risk coming in too low and then being insulting I understand that as well yeah. but it's like what would I rather so you want to gamble <laughs> so you want to take risk out of these streets <laughs> I'm saying to me, like when I'm when I'm trying to get the the information as much as I go into environments and it's like, oh snap, college boy, I'm now surrounded myself with people where that is the expectation. Mm-hmm. And so now because I know that that's my surrounding, that I can enter into that and it, with a certain posture, a certain education. I go into places where I'm I'm the least important. I'm still trying to figure out how I got in this room. Right. Right. But I'm also in places where I know that. As much as I don't know, I know more than the people in this room. And so they're looking to me for certain information. And I don't want to create barriers. I want to create bridges. Mm. And so for me, when I think of like, okay, initially you're in this room, then I would adjust my language. And then I'm like, everybody understand what I'm saying? Yep. Or I can come in, ask some, ask some, yo, y'all feel me? Mm. Everybody, you feel me? And they're like, yep. And then I start to see that their language changes. Then I go from, you feel me to, is does everyone understand? Can we move forward? Like my, I adjust my language. And so my pushback is, is I think that we can't say that anytime you show any interest on anything from a formalized educational perspective and you want to articulate the way that you understand it. Whoa, whoa, I don't know what that means. That <laughs> right, right. I, I think that there are people that, that can talk to me under the table and I'm being super stereotypic, typical when I say this, folks. I'm sorry. I don't want to offend anybody. But I'm saying if if... People came in, people could talk to me under the table about Madden. People can talk to me under the table about fantasy football. People can talk to me under the table about a lot of stuff. And to me, that makes them smart in that area. And if they are hanging around other people who speak that same language, then I believe that, that group is knowledgeable, especially more than me in that area. And they can have a conversation about it that I can't. They can in fact nerd out on it. Right. And so I just think like when we use those terms, I, I want to leave some room for nuance, mm-hmm. right? In that we can't say that anytime we talk like this, that these people respond. That's too big of a blanket statement. Okay. So I, that's my only pushback is like, I think the people nerd out on certain stuff. 
People nerd out on coffee. I'm just, I got a coffee drink right here. People nerd out on coffee. And I feel like I'm, I'm a coffee nerd. Mm-hmm. But when people start talking about hues and hints and oily residue, I'm like, whoa, I just got a French oh. press. You know, like, <laughs> I thought I was fancy because I had a pour over the French press at the house. And I, I, tripped over and I was like, I thought I was doing big things. Yeah, it's like, what? So, yes, I, I said a lot. I'm sorry. I just wanted to provide that space. No, for... and, and I, will, I will give you that concession because I am in a place where that's, you know, that is largely modeled by the experiences I've been through. And that uh, yes. and it is very, you know, very much people who have no there's no grace for me actually wanting to help them. Mm. Or me actually wanting to provide the information for them. It's yeah. you know, as soon as I walk in the room, because like it and I've experienced this a lot. Either you love me right off mm-hmm. or you hate me and I have to win you over. Mm. And I, some, something about how I like about my face, some people just want to punch me. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. There are like a lot of people who are just like, I can't stand it. I'm like, people think I'm mean. I'm like, I'm really not. Bruce people think not I'm serious all, all the time. I'm like, I'm almost never serious. Yeah. Like, I, I, I want to help people and do good things. And, yeah. and people, you know, they, they attribute the wrong, you know, uh, they, they think I've got the wrong intention coming in. And mm-hmm. whenever you start from that place, mm-hmm. then automatically it's like, no, you know, uh, you smart boy, mm-hmm. I'm coming here with that. So, yeah. so I definitely, you know, I will pull back and say, like, yeah, <laughs> I, I overstayed a little bit there. My experiences and the way that I interact with people has definitely shaded the the way that the responses I've gotten. Yeah, and you know, and this like, uh, like the next question I'll ask you has to do with this is that I am at the best version of myself. Like as currently, a, yes, the best version of myself so far. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying that. <laughs> this is the final this is, version. Everything else is down. Version here. 10.0, Bruce Alexander. <laughs> no, nah, I don't think that's anywhere close to the truth. But I think. In my life as an adult, this is probably version five of me, mm. and this is the best version I think by far. Yeah, but there's still you know there's still little you know version five point two mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. little tweaks and little you know nuances that you know yeah. nuance that need to be rolled out still. Yeah. So for you, what version of Derek do you think you're on Ooh. as an adult? Like so, yeah. everything up until eighteen, that's just a programming phase. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't count as a version yet because you're not even really your own person yet oh i think that's good i mean i can go back to like being 25 24 25 um that's when my wife and i uh had our first kid uh bought our very first new car bought our first home uh that version being like um entering into my 30s being another version um at 35 i'm 42 right now uh, one, two, so that's what, one, two, three, four, yeah, I'd probably say that I'm in the four, two, four, three, I've still right. got some tweaks okay. on this current one, um, and I, th- I just think about being a young person, being married, and then being, like, a young parent, kind of getting into this new world, and then there's something about, like, 30, that, like, makes things serious, and, mm. like, uh, my body starts to change in a way that I process food and um now i'm a professional and i've been in this space now where i'm with people that uh, have a way more money than i do and then um i'm opening up to, to this world of like professionalism and um, i'm in a space where i'm working with 70 year olds and also 21 year olds mm-hmm. and, uh, so that was a version and then like i think there's this spiritual enlightenment that came probably around 23 20, or 33 34 35 
Um, and then having like preparing for kids to leave and it being my wife and I, like that's a, a different phase. And so I think it's like all of those required a different type of focus, a different mm-hmm. type of energy. Um, so I would say like probably in my fourth transition right now of like turning into this mindset uh, to where I'm not in like kid in the house daddy mode and I've been a business owner for coming to 12 years. Um, like I just think that requires a different energy than it did the season before. So um, it seems like your versions are kind of typified by preparing for a different life phase. Yes. Like for me, it is very much about not just major life experiences, but my reactions to major life experiences. And like, as I've looked, you know, look back on my story, like I figured out that these different versions are not something that I'm actually actively doing like I thought I was. Ooh, that's good. It's like, I look back and it's like, I thought this was going to be a moment that changed me. Yeah. But what really changed me was this, this, and this. Like, for example, I used to sell drugs. That's really good, like, by the way. Like, what you said before, not the drug part. No, that's, I know that's yeah. what it is. But I, yeah, I want to come back to that, but go ahead. Okay, yeah. yeah. So whenever, whenever I got my house got raided, wow. I thought that that was going to be the moment that my life changed. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is going to make who I am forever. It did, it did not. That was not it. What changed me was going back home, living with my mom, mm-hmm. and hiding from my warrant mm-hmm. for six months. Mm-hmm. That's what changed me was my my fear and my guilt and my shame mm-hmm. just hiding. It wow. From that point, my mom found out about it. It was like, I'm taking you to jail. Yeah. You're turning yourself in. Woo. And then you're going to go to court and you're going to deal with this. Yeah. It was like, yeah, all right. So, you know, then that's, but that time, living with my mom as an adult, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was, I was, this, it was post 18, but it was pre 21. So yeah. it was, you know, it was still in the it's development a weird space. phase. Yeah, it's yeah. a weird space. Yeah. But that time led me into the next phase of my life where I felt so sorry for myself mm-hmm. for the next, I mean, I could say up to, five eight five to eight years Mm -hmm. because instead of just handling this thing you know just really just taking it on like a like an adult i hid from it and that became my my default was hiding wow and i like at the time i never would have been like oh this is you know i'm gonna be a person who hides from stuff now Mm -hmm. it's just like i like i was so anxious about that then I draw, you know, I got kicked out of school because mm-hmm. I got in trouble because I stopped showing up to class because mm-hmm. I was partying too much. All these things happened, and yeah. I just and so then I was getting calls about my loan. I was hiding from that. Mm-hmm. I was hiding from all these things, and that was just like my default for a long time after that. Wow! And luckily, you know, my wife who met me during all that was able to see through all that and see something good. Ooh! Like to, she survived through the honestly the worst absolute worst version of me version 1.0 it sucked like (laughs) it was terrible and she survived through that wow and helped me build version 2.0 yeah and that's you know and that was not just having a kid like i thought having a kid this is going to be it Mm -hmm. right and it wasn't it was still drinking so much and making bad decisions yeah that i threw up in front of my daughter once yeah bro and it was like that was the moment in retrospect, it was like, you have got to get your life together. People depend on you now. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. I do. And, and, and what I wanted to go back to, which you've already talked about, is like, how do we, 
uh, how do we increase our self-awareness and our desire enough to be active participants in our change? Mm. You, know, you talk about like the, yeah, I, I can't, I can't remember the wording, wording that you said, but it was like, it was something about being uh, active or passive, mm. right? And it's like, I think oftentimes we let things happen to us versus us initiating the change, right? right? It's like, we just kind of, we become reactive, you know, responsive mm. and instead of being proactive, right? Um, and, and I think that's something that I'm hearing you say that something that I did as well, just kind of, instead of saying, this is what I want to happen, it was like, oh, that happened. So this is what I'll do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never really knew. Again, I'm quoting this guy, Hetty. Hetty was like, the cool thing about life is that we literally get to write our stories. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Really he was know. like, you know what's happening on the next page? When you flip the page, I was like, what? He was like, whatever you want to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, that's for real. You literally, it was like, do you want to be skinny on the next page? Like, you can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be a good husband? Do you want to be a good father? Do you want to be busy? Like, whatever you want, the next page, the next chapter. And I was like, bro, you blowing my mind right now. Oh, wow. Because because if it's not what happens on the next page, if I let other people write it, I, don't, I can't control it. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that you can't control. But for the most part, as I'm writing my story, right, I get to, I get to have a say-so in what happens on the next page. And that's what happens when we become active instead of passive participants in our current future, our own story. And I think talking about initiating those versions versus looking back and be like, ooh, well, I guess that was version 2.0. That was version 3.0. It's saying like, man, this is what I want to happen. Like, how can I be an active participant in making that happen? How can I do everything that I want to do, everything that I can do in order to make the story turn out the way that I want it to turn out? And I don't know that people take that perspective. They're like, man, hey, how many times you, you you talk to somebody? Hey, yo, what's going on, bro? It's like, man, it's another day, another dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, how you doing? Hey, man, just living it, man. Just mm-hmm. trying to make it. And I, listen, sometimes making it is a win. Yeah. Like sometimes getting to the next moment, into the next day, to the next week, if you can just wake up the next day, I don't want to dismiss anybody that is, is in that current space right now. Sometimes waking up is the win. Yeah. Right? But I think there's a point in time where we uh, waking up becomes so predictable, right? Mm-hmm. That then we can set something else as the next goal. Maybe yeah. waking up and getting out of bed, Absolutely. right? Maybe waking up, getting out of bed and cleaning our house. Maybe it's like whatever that that scaffolding is allows us to be the most active participants in the development of our future mm-hmm. instead of us just being so responsive and reactive to everything. Yeah, and, and I, like I agree with that to qualify this a little bit is that I mm-hmm. think that you can decide where and how you show up. Yeah. And, and that is a huge part of stepping to that next version, mm-hmm. but then life is going to happen. So, Agreed. And so for me, it's like, that's, that's the looking back part is like maybe like version version four was an active, was an active decision. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, I thought I knew who I was, beca- who I was, I knew who I was trying to become. Yeah. Right. And then life happened. And it was a pivot, but what came out of it was different than I thought it was going to be. Agreed. So that's, you know, that's the, the, the retrospective part for me. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think when, when, when we talk about life happening, it's not like I can be like, and then I'm going to go and then I'm going to get the job. Or, and then I'm going to drive my car and I'm not going to have a flat. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah, saying yeah. That, that oftentimes, like, um, and not that it needs further qualification. I mean, you said yours, I said mine. And, and I think this not qualified. That's what podcast. Well, I'm just saying. Like, I just, I just think that that people. It's like um, I had a, I had a kid who bought a car, 
And I've been talking to this kid about buying a car. And I'm like, man, in fact, I gave him one of my cars mm-hmm. until he could afford a car. And then uh, he messed my car up. And I was like, okay, well, I want you to learn with my car. What is something that you could do? Um, what is something that you you could do, could have done um, with my car so that you don't mess up your car? Like, what's something? And because I'm like, I listed five things that you did wrong with my car. And you were just you were like, oh, um, the oil light came on. So now I got to get an oil change. Oh, the tire pressure light came on. So now I got to go check my tires. Well, the proactive part, the active part is knowing when you need an oil change, knowing get your tires rotated, like that part. Not saying that life won't happen, Mm -hmm. but I think there are things that we can do to either prepare or prevent from those things happening. It's just some stuff we just can't plan for. Yeah. I think there's some stuff we can. And if you're planning for those things, then it's going to stop you from being completely diverted from the path Ooh, you, were, you were trying to you were trying to set off on yeah so yeah preparation is a is a huge part yeah. of, of beginning a new journey or starting a new version of yourself um and, and life will happen i'm sorry i don't want to as i'm talking I, it sounds like i'm minimizing the part that we can't control that's a uh, huge, i don't think, I think are, but... well i just want to clarify like i think that's i think that life will just happen there's even even if we played it down to the t the way life has it is something that's gonna Something will happen. I, I know every time I go, like, get my car checked out, it was like, I've done everything that I thought I could do, but wait, what happened? They're like, oh, yeah, this thing cracked. And I'm like, how could I predict that? And they're like, well, you just can't. Sometimes it's just, and I'm like. Sometimes when you drive a car 275 miles, 275 <laughs> miles, miles it just happens that way. <laughs> they're like, you, know, you, can't, you just can't predict it. So uh, life happens. I just do want to say that. So in, in this version creating of yourself yeah can you think of a person who was formative in creating any specific version of yourself yeah um yeah i can think of like janice bayus uh well before i go her i gotta go miss thomas miss thomas in middle school uh she was someone that uh just kind of like encouraged me to raise my hand Mm. Middle school, just Derek. I know you have something to say. I'm trying to like not to be the guy that's always because I was I was engaged. I was mm-hmm. like, yo, this is legit. Like I love this stuff. But I think that you get that that vibe of like here Derek go again, especially in middle school, right? Oh yeah. Um, and then in high school, uh, Janet Thomas was a choir teacher. She would kind of push me to the front, consistently pushing me to the front. Derek, do you want to sing solo? Derek, you want to be in a quartet? Derek, you want to be you want to be a section leader? Derek, do you want to? And I wouldn't have raised my hand for any of those things. Mm. Um, and so she just kind of like put me in leadership positions. Um, I can say uh, early on, um, my my wife, uh, we got married um, when we were 20. And uh, you talk about somebody that kind of saw through the crap and mm-hmm. pushed and pulled you along, you know, the development. She's been there, um, I would say, as I stepped into manhood. And she's had to uh, tolerate and show compassion and grace through all the different versions of Derek as mm-hmm. an adult. Uh, and I value her and appreciate her input and her feedback and her patience. Uh, my kids, that had been very informative um, because as I was learning how to be a father, I used to tell my daughter, I was like, hey, I've never had a 10-year-old before, so you're going to have to work You have to work with me. Like, let's Ooh, do this. Let me write that down. <laughs> I was like, hey, I've never had an 11-year-old. Like, I tell every birthday, I sit her down, I'm like, hey, I've never had an 18-year-old before. You're going to have to help me with this one. And so my kids have kind of helped me um, grow up in a way like they they're looking at who I used to be 
like through the lens of an 18 year old. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're like, dad, I wish you would do this. And I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Like, that's right. really cool. I appreciate it. Dad. When you say this, or when you do this, it makes me feel like this. And I'm like, so kids help me there. Um, oh, and, well, well, let's pause right there. Yeah. Right. So with, you have three children? I have two. two. You have two children. Yeah. So on each of their birthdays, you sit down and have this conversation every year. Yeah. Well, with my oldest, with my, so, with my youngest, it's a little different because I, while I've had, because he's, he's, he's uh, 17 months behind my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so I can't say to him, I've never had a 17-year-old before. You never had a 17-year-old boy? That's the conversation. Okay. So it's like, yeah. So it's like, I've had a 17-year-old before, but I've never had a 17-year-old boy. And, and you do this every year. Every so I've done it for maybe the last um, six or seven years. Like when they came into like the teenage years, um, I think they're. I worked with kids, and so I've worked with kids enough for this to be familiar, mm-hmm. right? I worked with these kids enough for my kids to be familiar, and so I'm starting to see some things uh, at home that I see out in the community, and so I can kind of have a reference point. Right. It wasn't until um, the last maybe six or seven years that I've worked with older kids. And so now as I'm starting to work with older kids, my kids are also older. So it's mm-hmm. all new. Right. right. And so I'm telling them, Hey, I've never, I've never had a 13 year old before. So you're going to have to help me with this. So, but so every year since then sitting them down saying, there's some stuff you're going to go through that I've never had to parent through. Mm-hmm. And so let's partner together to navigate this space together. Cause I don't like, I don't have the, the information I got. The, I got, or I don't have the, the the knowledge like the fir- firsthand personal knowledge right. I can read a book and this is what thirteen year olds generally go through mm-hmm. but it's not you absolutely and so can you help me can we partner together mm-hmm. over this next year to navigate whatever thirteen looks like for you because if you remain eager to learn and I want to learn you then I think we're going to navigate this well together and and so you said you know your daughter would say dad I wish you would you know yeah. whatever how much weight do you put on that yeah um so part of it is being humble enough to let a 13 year old sit you down as a parent yeah, and tell I mean, you that's that. huge that's why i'm I'm just i'm just so engaged in this because yeah it's a it's a very unique process for me I, and, I, and i'm liking what i'm hearing so that's yeah me about they'll, they'll, they'll tell you um but i also have to understand that they're 13 mm-hmm. or that they're 18 or they're 17 and right. so the the older they get the more weight i put on it but early on it was you know i remember my daughter uh she had to be two or three years old, she's putting together full sentences, you know, mm-hmm. and um, there used to be this point where she would come lay her back on my, on my knees and her, her feet on my chest. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like she could do a sit up and give me a kiss. I'm just trying to paint the picture for you all. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would put her feet on my face and I would like nibble her toes and I'd be like, nah, <laughs> you know, just got, nah, nah, nah. this is before the feet, the feet got stinky, right? Right. No, 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 That would be gross for teenagers. <laughs> Listen, I tried to do it. She did not like it. She's not, she's <laughs> she not a fan. Gets you up. My daughter does jiu-jitsu. She will literally oh my me out. She was like, she like she was going to like, kick me in the face. I was like, now the conversation's going to turn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, but she, she went at the end of our tickle fest, she would sit up and then she would grab my face and she'd be like, daddy, I love you. And she like with both hands squished my face together and I'd be like, I love you too. And she'd be like, daddy, you're the best daddy. And I'm oh like, oh, I'm like, thank you so much. And she went, can I have fruit snacks? <laughs> 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 she was buttering me up, right? Yeah. So it's like, and even at two or three years old, I'm trying to listen to what she wants, but I also have to understand that she's a two and three year old. Mm-hmm. And so she'll give it to me in that perspective. Right. And so um, even as a 17, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old, I'm sitting them down and I'm listening to them, tell me what they want. 
And I put weight on it, but I also have to understand that they're 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah. So I have to look at it through their um, their lens. My daughter, daddy, I may need uh, more money on my card, right? What I hear is, so now we got to talk about money management, mm-hmm. right? Because now, so now the, the next question is, why do you need more money on your card? Oh, I spent the money that you gave me. What did you spend it on? So now we're having a conversation. Yeah. So now it's instead of me saying, you're right, babe, you need more money. And I put my money in the car. Mm-hmm. Now I got to have a conversation because daddy ain't going to always be here to put money in your car. Right. Right. I probably will. I, I just want to be honest. I just I, In case you're listening, <laughs> daddy will be there. I'm 30 years old, she's going to be like, daddy. I'm going to be like, come on. Right? You know, I, I want to be that daddy. Right? <laughs> but I think that there's, there's a part of it that puts the appropriate amount of weight for the situation in the age. Mm-hmm. I, I want to open the door. And the weighty part that they feel is I have access to my dad. That's mm-hmm. the most important weight that we can put on the conversation. Yeah. The second part is me actually listening to them and evaluating and trying to not, not only hear what they, they're saying, but look past what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the process that has developed over the years. Man, and I, what, I, what I love about that is, you know, if, if we're in a world like I, I'm trying to help people be more authentically themselves. Yeah. I, that's what I want to put out in the world. And a lot of people don't, don't tie their kids into that. Mm. They don't They don't tie, how do my kids see me into, am I being myself? You know, it's like when they walk through the door, what happens in there isn't the same as what happens out there. Yeah. And sometimes your kids see that, and, I mean, that, that can affect them in, in very big ways, depending on what the change is. Yeah. So sitting down and having that conversation, you know, like I talk to my daughter all the time about all kinds of things. You know, she's my oldest of four. Mm-hmm. So... But I've never had that conversation, and I when I want to now, I want to. Her birthday is next month, Ooh. and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, you know, I'll sit down with her and say, I've never had a 14 year old. So, um, what do you like? What do you want to see? How can I help you as you become a 14 year old for the first time? Is there anything that that you think I can improve on as a father? Yeah, and I think that would be so insightful. Because, you know, kids will give it to you straight. They will. They, I mean, they will They will lay it out for you sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't feel so good. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, if I feel like if you really just get ahead of it like that yeah. and give them the opportunity to, to share their feelings, is for one, they're going to have more grace. Because generally, when anybody feels hurt, they have more grace for things when it gets stressful. Yeah. But then also, like, you're really going to have an opportunity to, like, implement that and, and really try to help them along because the teenagers are hard. Absolutely. And so why not? Why would I not do that to try to make it easier? Like, that's excellent. Like, I'm, yeah. thank you for sharing that. No problem. And, and I think some of that is like, if, if that's a, like, it, it goes um like the lines of communication of like us talking to our kids all the time, playing with them. Mm-hmm. We're the center of the universe. And over time, I, I believe like if I could use like an artery or a vein, like it, it's open and, and over time, other things start to get into that, that artery or that vein. And you get social media and then you get they go to school and they get teachers and they get friends and they get uh, pop culture. And all these things begin to like uh, impede the flow of information from my child. Mm-hmm. And I, so for me, whenever I set them down, it's almost like going through that mug and clearing out that mess. And I'm like, I want to let you know that regardless if you take advantage of it or not, that I'm your father that I want to be in your life, that you can always come to me. And sometimes I may bust up in this room, up in your space and be like, yo, what's going on? How you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Right. Come talk to me. Let's go grab some ice cream. Let's, you know, like I want to make sure that you know that those lines of communications are open because while we know that there's sometimes they'll give it to you raw, there's other times where they're afraid. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And they won't give it to you at they all. They won't give it to you at all. They'll give it to you raw. Yeah. But they won't give it to you at all. Listen, that Ooh. middle space is come on. That middle space is almost inhabited. That's no mm-hmm. man's land. Like you have this this point in time, or maybe depending on the the topic of the subject, they'll be completely open or completely closed. Right. And the closed part, and I and I do it with myself and my friends as well. There have been times where I've been completely transparent, and there's other times where I've been zero dark thirty, mm-hmm. and you ain't heard from your boy in a while. And part of it is like I'm trying to work through some stuff or I'm embarrassed about what I'm going through mm. or um, maybe I don't feel like the people around me have the capacity to support me in this area or this space. And so it's like I try to like seclude myself and figure it out, which is horrible, by the way. Yeah, I don't I, recommend it. My, my best that. friend is like that. and I hate you. I hate, I'm like, where where did you go? Yeah. And it's just, I just so we're working through, through some stuff. You know, just like, working uh, with it. It's like, bro, like, I wish we could retire that line for all of eternity. So I don't know if it's my ADHD, but I don't do that. No? Like, I don't, like, no, I'm bad about keeping up with relationships. Mm-hmm. But if, if my friend, who's my friend, calls me, and I'm having a bad day or whatever, yeah. like, I mean, unless I'm just, like, super anxious and I just can't talk on the phone, right. then I'll still send him a text and be like, yeah, you know, just... Today's not a great day, mm-hmm. whatever. But like, if you know, especially if somebody's like, "Hey, I want to hang out," I'm not like, I'm like, mm-hmm. I like seeing my people. That makes me feel better. Yeah. And I can't not talk about the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's gonna come up. It's like, man, you seem a little different. It's like, well, here's what's happening. Right <laughs> I'm glad now. you said and something. It's like, you know, as you know, I was going through my you know uh, transition with the fire department. Yeah. We didn't talk about it because we weren't. We just hadn't had people over yet. And as soon as people came over. They're like, hey, what's going on? I was like, well, let's, everybody sit, come around the table. Let's talk about yeah. what's going on with Bruce. And he was like, because I don't, I don't like that feeling of knowing that there's this big piece of information yeah. that's not being addressed. It makes me feel like, it makes my skin crawl. Yeah. It makes me feel like I'm not, I'm in somebody else's body. Mm-hmm. And like, so that to me is what I want to share with people is like, if you are able to get that piece of information and give it some give it some air like let that scar heal yeah then that the the divide is so much smaller mm-hmm. like if people are able to get closer to you like mm-hmm. and you feel better like if people can't get to you they can't hug you they yeah. can't you know they Absolutely. can't you know they can't give you that support that you need so i'm like let's let's just get rid of this thing where we hide from people and like just say hey it's bad if you want to come hang out sure yeah. but it's bad right now so <laughs> like i'm you're welcome to be in my space if that's what you want to deal with mm-hmm. versus being like, I'm just not going to answer your phone calls for two months. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, what are you, where did you go? Yeah. Are you dead? Yeah. Like that's, you know, the, like don't make me roll up on you. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think when we're talking about like being able to show up in our most authentic selves and I know that was the way that we introduced the show of like, what kind of compromises do we concede to make people comfortable around us are like why do we not show up that way or do we can see these spaces so that we can be in these these spaces um i think that as somebody who like i really try not to uh i, I say this and i have a couple of friends who, who get absolutely annoyed i say man i'm a lot sometimes like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm heavy sometimes they're like why do you say that right right like if we opted into being your friends like and you don't and you don't share with that. It's, it's almost like, it's like, like trickery. It's mm. almost like you're, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're manipulating my decision, right? It's like you're presenting this person and then we show up and it's not even the real person that we're getting. Like mm-hmm. you got some stuff that you're dealing with and you won't let us friend you, right. which is strange because like 
if if someone else did that to me, I would feel offended. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, bro, you've been handling this by yourself the whole time and you didn't say nothing? Like, I'm I'm doing what I would be upset for other people doing. I feel like it's a super common thing for people to forget that friending is a two-way street. Ugh. It's like, I friend you, yeah. you don't friend me. <laughs> like that's like, Whenever you need friending, I friend you. Yeah. Don't friend me, don't. I'm, I'm having a tough time. Don't ah, friend me. Man. Right and it's like, that's, I mean, that doesn't sound very fair. It doesn't. Like, I, I want to friend you. That's why I became your friend, yeah. to friend you and yeah. to have you friend me. And so, like, I and that's a whole different thing, but that's whenever you're not being authentic, you're trying to hide something. Yeah. You're trying to, you don't want them to see that part of you. Mm -hmm. And as a friend, if they, if they really are a friend, they want to, they want to be there. Yeah. They want to be, you know, they through thick and thin, like whatever, they want to be your friend. Yeah. And if they don't, then I, I personally would rather find out sooner rather than later uh -huh. whenever it comes to the time where it's like, I can't. I can't handle this by myself. Yeah. I need you. And they're like, oh, I didn't sign up to actually friend you. I Ooh. wanted you to friend me. Ooh. I didn't want you. I, like, you know, they want yeah. the reverse relationship. It's like, oh, that now that's going to be tough because it, it turns out the people you thought were there for you are not. Yeah. Derek and I are both so passionate about these topics that we carried on long enough to fill an entire another episode. Check back in to Authentic On Air with Bruce Alexander next week to hear the rest of the conversation. In the meantime, make sure you listen to the companion bonus episode released with episode three and earlier episodes for a variety of interesting content that will definitely have you thinking. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe and check out earlier episodes as well to support the future creation of great content. Follow at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or LinkedIn. And if you're struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your brand, or your life, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does brand coaching to help you align yourself with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. Contact me on social or email me at bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com for a free 30-minute consultation. Until next time, be yourself, love yourself. Goodbye.